Welcome back, everyone. Hello. You're back with Abby and Daniela on our podcast, Gimme the Creeps. Gimme the Creeps. Uh, <laughs> I keep forgetting that you do that. Every time I'm like, wow. You're like, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so we have a special spiritual update in our creepy corner. Daniela, take us away. Okay. So if any of y'all were listening to uh, last week's episode, I talked about um, how I was feeling like I was like blocked. Like there was, what did I say? Like, uh, like you were I felt like, like I yeah. wasn't at my full potential as far as like witchy spiritual shit right so um for shits and giggles i did uh this was like on the when did the episode come out on friday right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean on the eighth Mm -hmm. so on the sixth i did a thing on etsy like the they're like uh psychics or whatever on etsy which i know you're probably rolling your fucking eyes right now because that's exactly what I did too. But it was fucking $4. So I was like, what the fuck? Whatever. So I did this one um, with this one girl. Like I was reading her reviews and of course everybody was like, oh my God, she was so on point, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we'll see about that. So <laughs> I had her uh, do one and all I, all, I didn't tell her any information about myself. My Etsy has nothing about me on there. Um, And all I had to do was ask her two questions. So I asked her, one, do I have any spiritual slash magical abilities? And two, can the universe tell me if the things I've been trying to manifest will be achieved? And I asked this on six and I was supposed to, I did a, where it was like a one hour. It took one hour from the time that I purchased for her to reply to me. But I don't remember what happened that she it didn't end up happening that way. She did not reply until four in the fucking morning on Friday, mm-hmm. uh, the eighth. And she said <clears throat> the first answer uh, to do I have any spiritual slash magical abilities? She said, you do. Your spirit guides are validating that you have some sort of clairvoyant abilities that seem to be very untapped. Meditate on your third eye chakra and you might find these abilities, that these abilities grow naturally. So I read that and I was like, holy shit. I was literally just talking (laughs) about this on the podcast yesterday. So weird. Yeah. And then... The second one was, uh, the question was, can the universe tell me if the things I've been trying to manifest will be achieved? And she said, the things that you have been trying to manifest will eventually be achieved. However, it's also important to know that in order for your manifestations to come to fruition, you have to be completely spiritually aligned. Meditating on your chakras at this point moving forward is going to be beneficial as you have to be in complete alignment to receive the spiritual growth and manifestations that you're looking for. 
that like that was literally what, what yeah we, we were said. talking about meditating and a chakra like literally yeah, yeah that is so wild it was fucking crazy and i was like oh my god this bitch is four dollars and she just fucking yeah blew my mind exactly interesting yeah and um so if y'all want to go get a reading done by her Right. Uh, Just out of curiosity, who knows what you'll hear and come back to us with um, how accurate it was. Let me tell you what her fucking thing is called. Um, Okay. Her little shop on Etsy is called Gypsy Tarot, and it's G-Y-P-S-Y-Y-Y-T-A-R-O-T. And I'm pretty sure I did the one hour reading or what is it called? <laughs> well, shit. Oh, the same hour Oracle reading. That's what I did. Mm. So, yeah, you can I think there's different ones that she has on there, but um, you don't you don't have to tell her anything except uh, those two questions. I think she might ask for your date of birth or something but i mean how the fuck was she gonna get those answers from my date of birth you know what i mean yeah so uh and i don't have my name as like my profile like it doesn't have my name i put something else so she couldn't even fucking look me up or anything like it was just really weird i was just really weirded out but interesting yeah i was it's weird that like I trip out when shit like this happens from like strangers, but like I assume I can do it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't freak me out when I do it, but I don't know. So yeah, for shits and giggles, or if you really want to know what the fuck's gonna happen with your life, go right ahead and do that. Interesting. I mean, I guess with knowing getting your birth chart in order, they could kind of predict at this point in time what's going on i don't know it's hard to explain either way that like they either that she was able to be so like specific yeah like on point with what the fuck i was talking about the day before like right Hmm. and and i like i get that a lot of things like there's Within, like, the practice of, like, tarot and, like, fucking doing all this stuff, whatever, not everybody, like, especially, like, psychics and shit like that, mediums and everything, not everybody goes about it the same way so that she had the exact same, like, um, uh, what is it, the same... uh, Fuck, I don't even know how to (laughs) explain it. The same... uh, method of like getting to that point of like that you have to everything has to be aligned in the chakras and shit like not mm-hmm. everybody deals with that so that that was what she said and that was true exactly, like it just that is what blew my mind because I mean I would get it if everybody felt that way too you know what I mean like if yeah every single psychic was like or every single person that had any sort of witchy shit going on with them was like yeah you need to align your chakras and blah 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 but not everybody believes that so or they go about their own kind of way of method of doing shit so yeah it was just really that's true 
ended up being Yeah, that was very specific. Oh my gosh. Well, whether it be a coincidence or not, very interesting. Very. Thank you for sharing. That is wild. Um, I always had questions about um, readings like online or like how people do tarot readings on live right. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's even this guy that like you can look him up. There's all kinds of stuff online where they say like they can heal you through like the internet. Really? I don't know. Yeah. There's like a guy who gazes into the camera and he like stares like you could get on a zoom call with him and pay him and he heals you with your, with his gaze essentially. So I don't know. I mean, do we believe, do we not believe, but who knows, but maybe it just depends how spiritually strong you are. It can like transfer through. Right. Electronic devices and <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say because some people do get readings on like lives and you can see in the comments like they're it's it's working or like it's accurate or who knows what they if it's true or not. But, but some of those are they're paying um, their friend to jump on there to say, Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean it could be that too. But like a lot of the times they'll give like an extremely, extremely vague like True. Like anything response, could just and everyone's like, oh yeah. And I mean, I guess that what I got could have been considered a fucking vague response, but still. Um. Whoa, that reminds me. So then, have you seen Nightmare Alley yet? No, I have not. It's pretty good, but um, you learn like the tricks of the mind readers, like in the olden times during. Oh. The circus and stuff, and Tony Collette is in this act with a guy named Pete, and they have a book of signals and stuff that the between the two of them they know, like if the guy's wearing a gold watch or it's really cool. So if you watch Nightmare Alley, just kind of watch that part because it was interesting how you can be out outsmarted out of your money because I would I'm the most gullible. I literally told the guy at the Apple store today I broke my phone for the second time and it was unfixable. So I had to pick a new pick up a new one today and the guy was telling me about New Mexico and I was like, are you gonna go alien hunting? And he told me that he was abducted as a child or he believes he was and I ate that up. I told him I was like, you're gonna think I'm the most gullible person, but I believe you. So in general, I'm just I'm just like very open to it. Like, who am I to say you're lying to me? Like, and if you right. are lying to me, what harm does that do me? Like, none. Right. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> thank you for entertaining me, I guess. But um, but yeah, if you guys watch Nightmare Alley, check out that part where they're showing all the tricks of the trade for spiritualists and stuff. And yeah, interesting. Speaking of olden times, we are going way back today. It's pretty oh, no. exciting. It's exciting. It's scandalous. It's also kind of like edgy and kind of iconic in a very messed up way. Like I don't want to say – because of course you know it's murder and this is a, a child who gets murdered in this case. So it's, of course it's like horrible or whatever. But historical-wise, like this is like a huge deal. So I'm really excited to be covering the case of – should I even say their names yet? No, I don't think I want to. Keep you guys guessing. A lot of people haven't covered this. I was kind of surprised, um, but hey, I'm I'm always welcome to watching uh, newer newer uh, people cover this kind of stuff. So we're going back to the 1920s today. Very fun, very flashy. You know, lights, camera, action. Well, no, there's no cameras yet, is there? Yeah, there are. There's cameras. It's, it's black and white. Yeah, yeah. it's black and white. Um, 
it's very, it's crazy. So here we go. Let me find my notes. Um, um, um. Oh yeah. Anyone collected any ghosts after our last episode? How's that working out so far? Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. So nobody has complained to me yet about this series. So today we are going to keep it going. This is technically part three of the Scream film reels to real kills series, but I have a whole new true crime story for you all today. So if that's confusing in the slightest, I am so sorry. People are going to be like, what? I thought we were done with that. Kevin Williamson drew inspiration from a very early murder in history that was like worldwide national news, uh, which is why I'm so surprised that more people don't know about it. But my guess is that he took an interest in like the mentality of these young killers because it was a whole new perspective that there was no motive. Like these people, it was, it's somewhat referred to as like the earlier affluenza case. And if you're not familiar with like the affluenza case, it's that, um, rich guy who killed a bunch of people and he just gets to like live at a resort for the rest of his life pretty much. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And then his mom like tried to take him to Mexico, crazy stuff. If y'all are interested in that, just look up affluenza teen. But uh, these guys were the affluenza teens of their time. So once again, we are traveling back in time and let's kind of immerse ourselves, shall we? The year is 1924. The first ever Winter Olympics is held in Chamonix, France, and IBM is born in the way that the computing tabulating recording company is renamed by Thomas J. Watson. So um, Mahatma Gandhi is released from jail. Adolf Hitler is on trial for treason in the Beer Hall Putsch think is what it's called. And that's basically where he had attempted to overthrow the Weimar Republic on November 8th and 9th of 1923. So he's currently on trial this year. Um, he gets let out of jail early for good behavior. So don't get your hopes up. And then we all know what the rest of the story is um, <laughs> in Munich, Germany. And then uh, boy, did we not have a clue what was in store for the world stage in the coming years. Um, Happy birthday to you is published in print by Clayton Sunny. Robert Frost gets awarded the Pulitzer Prize. Indigenous people become citizens of the United States with the Indian Citizenship Act. Crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. This is a pivotal point in history where foreign relations are really gearing up, and industrially, the United States is on its way to becoming a developed country with bright lights and big cities. With this, of course, comes the influx of immigrants and the side effects of um, how people feel about that and the mining accidents with two happening this year, the Castlegate Mine in Utah and the Milford Mine in Minnesota with um, over 100 deaths, I believe, in both accidents. And America was built on the backs of true American heroes, in my opinion. The Immigration Act of 1924 restricts the number of immigrants coming from the Eastern Hemisphere and prevented entirely um, anyone from Asia um, in, from entering the country. And it's like the railroads were about done. So I guess that's convenient for everybody to be like, all right, you know, we don't need y'all coming in anymore. How rude. There was a lot of, you know, factors to that. And I love history. So, of course, I got, like, carried away reading about 1924. Uh, so if you're bored, go ahead and, like, skip ahead, like, 10 seconds. There are strikes, protests across the world. In the Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin's testament is given to the Communist Party, calling for change to the governing structure and criticizing Stalin, Trotsky, and others. Lenin would pass away later this year with 
or earlier, I don't remember what time of the year, but in 1924, Lenin passes away and then Stalin is now leading the Communist Party till his death in 1953. So big things are happening here. Um, Let's not forget Frida Kahlo, whose politics aligned with communism through most of her life, had a short love affair with Trotsky when he was exiled and wound up um, in the home that she shared with Diego Rivera. Interesting. Love history. Mussolini disallows non-fascist work unions. J. Edgar Hoover takes over the organization known as the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, Love that. FBI. So now that we brushed up on our incredible history, let's jump into the minds of two so-called geniuses. Having too much money and time on your hands can pose the problem of boredom for privileged and disturbed individuals. Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb were from wealthy Jewish families in Chicago in the 1920s. I found a doc on YouTube, um, American Experience, seems to be from PBS, titled The Perfect Crime. It's called The Perfect Crime. If you want to look it up on YouTube, it's like 53 minutes long. It's really good, really interesting. And then I used homicide.northwestern.edu for the crime case uh, summary of the crime. And then I used Chicago Tribune. So let's jump into it. On May 22nd, 1924, a 14-year-old boy's body is found. Uh, A ransom note had already been received by the parents. However, the child was killed before payments could be made. Now I'm going to take it on over to homicide.northwestern and let's read about the case. A 14-year-old boy, Bobby Franks, was murdered by two young men, Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb, both from wealthy and socially established Jewish families, simply to commit the perfect crime. Uh, The famous Clarence Darrow is is an attorney, and he's like very popular around this time. There's a lot of uh, crime happening in the 1920s, a lot of organized crime happening, and this guy is, is the guy to call. Before there was Saul, there was Clarence Darrow. Let me tell you what. Um, With the Leopold and Loeb case, the attention of the nation and the world was once again focused on Chicago because of a murder. The circumstances of the crime involved the murder of a young boy, Bobby Franks, by Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb, um, who said they killed their 14-year-old victim whom they didn't know because they wanted to commit the perfect motiveless crime. So it's saying here that they didn't know him, but he's a distant cousin to one of these guys. I believe it's Leopold. So that's like really messed up. So when his body was found, back to my notes, he, oh, also history.com. I don't know if this was a mistake or not, but I didn't list them as my source because they got this like major thing either wrong or they're the only one that like stood out as it was a stabbing the kid was not stabbed he was bludgeoned to death horrible that's just it's i don't know if it's better or worse it doesn't matter but in this case it's said that he was bludgeoned to death with a chisel he then um was gagged with a piece of clothing there was something in his mouth that he was like suffocating on and acid had been poured on his face and his genitals to hide his features He was stripped and left in a drainage pipe, poorly hidden. Um, So little Bobby Franks was on his way home for dinner. These two guys drive up and he's immediately just killed in the car. So it seemed like they had been planning this for months and we will get into that. They had a very high IQ. They they actually, I don't know if this map was made by them or I'll list it or I'll put it on the Instagram, but there's a map of where they were supposed to dump certain things. 
like the typewriter that typed up the ransom note and where the the chisel was dumped. Like they had it all planned out to how they were going to get away with this, right? Well, they're fucking idiots because they a pair of glasses is what really gives it away and someone freaking dropped them. So blunder of the century, which thank goodness because poor little Bobby Franks, like who would have known? I feel like they would have been caught anyway, but it it really did give it a, a little bit of a boost. Not to mention Nathan Leopold was acting interested in the case. So Cops were kind of like, why are you so interested in this case? They always case? do it. They always do it. They insert themselves. I know it's because they want to be caught or they want to test it. They want to like push it to that limit of like, it's me. I'm standing right here. Yeah. Come on. What you got? No. So it's like, ugh. so it's like egotistical. But Nathan Leopold dropped a pair of glasses near to where the body of Bobby Franks had been left. The glasses had a special patented spring for the expensive horned rim frame, which had been sold in only one place in Chicago (laughs) and purchased by only three people, including Nathan Leopold. Once in custody, both Leopold and Loeb showed no remorse and confessed in great detail to the crime, both to the authorities and to the press. They kind of like played the blame game too with each other. Like, no, Nathan hit him. No, Richard hit him. And, um, but they ended up both confessing like they, they were in it together. Uh, but as we will see, there is more to the story. So yeah, they argued as to who committed the actual blows which killed Bobby Franks. And in addition to their confessions to authorities, both Leopold and Loeb made many incriminating statements to the press and described their plans to commit this crime and their elaborate self-justifications for the murder, including the invocation of German philosophers such as Frederick Nietzsche. Their friendship had been marked by fantasies and delusions of grandeur highly ritualized games with elaborate plots and counterplots, and the planning and carrying out of previous criminal activities together. Their friendship had also had overtones of homosexuality. It's waiting for that. Isn't it? Isn't that just, it adds a little spice to the, to the mix. Um, So as I mentioned, the young men were very smart, high IQs. They made this, choice together, but it didn't just start with that. The darker of the two was believed to be Nathan Leopold. He answered an interviewer when asked how he felt about the murder. He said, it is as easy to justify such a death as it is to justify an entomologist impaling on a pin. Very cold. He's talking about you. I know, right? Entomology. Also, one of these guys is into ornithology and um, likes to study science. I was like, why didn't you use your knowledge for something good. Of course, it always has to be uh, ruined. So it appeared that Nathan led Richard astray and perhaps um, Dick was just along for the ride. Well, let's see. Let's get into it. In the summer of 1920, Richard was 15 and had already completed his first year of college at the University of Chicago. Nathan was six months older and was to start his first term that fall. They met and instantly connected over their similarities. They were raised by governesses in large, beautiful homes and had grown up blocks from one another from prominent, wealthy, and socially established family. Um, Both of them were. They dressed nice and they had nice, shiny hair. Nathan idolized Richard and they felt a mutual camaraderie, but it all makes sense now that they knew they were hiding a predatory personality. So they were just drawn towards each other. They were attracted. They could tell like, 
They were both villains in this. So Richard schemed to start cheating at cards, and Nathan was like, okay, cool. This is fun. Um, Ooh, it's like Tulio and Miguel. <gasps> Miguel and Tulio. Tulio and Miguel. Mighty and powerful gods. Okay, sorry. I couldn't. <clears throat> they call us Miguel and Tulio. <laughs> I really can't. That's like my favorite still. Okay. <clears throat> Everybody go watch the, the Rotel Dorado. It has some history in there, so it won't be for nothing. <clears throat> uh, the history of a developing friendship between over that film. I tell you what, if anybody I meet is ever like, I've never seen that. We can't be friends. Come on. Okay. <clears throat> So they were cheating at cards and they were feeling the thrill of it. And this transgression bound them together. Like they both knew a little secret and it was like all cute. Um, and it seemed like together they could take on the world. Um, seems innocent enough at first cheating at games. Nathan wanted to join in on testing these boundaries of potentially what's not allowed. So here's where it gets scandalous. Please don't get offended by this. Um, there was a homosexual situation going on here. So don't, you know, get offended by that. Uh, and it was there the entire time. Nathan was very attracted to Richard. And I'm not sure if Richard took advantage of that. I was I was not there. I don't know. But it's, it seems to me that that's the power play that was going on here. Whether or not he was genuinely also interested in Nathan, I have no idea. But as far as I can tell, one person was more into it than the other. So apparently Nathan really crushed on Richard and crime was an exciting new hobby to take on. Richard didn't feel he was in the common run of humanity as criminals. Um, he felt cr criminals were not on in the common run of humanity and he felt he himself wasn't either, but he was more capable of getting away with a crime than the usual crim criminal. So he wants to put this to the test and Nathan and Richard made a secret pact. Richard would have sex with Nathan and participate in little sexual things with Nathan if Nathan would accompany him when he went out and committed crimes. This is not to say they didn't agree to both commit the crime, but um, he it just says accompany him. So don't know exactly how much he was supposed to participate or willing to participate. It started with vandalism, then it got to robbing cars and then setting fires Richard then suggested they make things more interesting. They should murder someone. Nathan, being such a fan of niche, was bound by no law or morality or something along those lines. Um, he felt like what they referred to as a Nishian Superman. And they began to see themselves as, as a Nishian Superman. I'm not familiar with um, Frederick Nietzsche, and I don't know, like, philosophy and stuff too much, but they were just trying to overtake someone and not have any consequences. They wanted to commit a clever and perfect crime to demonstrate their superiority over people. It was on more of an intellectual level or at least perspective. They decide to kill somebody. They choose, and this is where I'm confused because most of the sites and sources don't mention that he's a distant cousin, cousin, but one source did, and then the PBS documentary did. So I'm just going to trust that that's how they decided to select Bobby Franks. They had already written the ransom note before even deciding who to kidnap. So it didn't matter who 
um, I guess whoever was just available and who was um, vulnerable, they just decided to to choose him. Mm. Uh, they had been renting cars to commit crimes in, so they had been using these fake names. And so they do this again. They rent a car and they use a fake name. They pick Bobby Franks up um, while he's on his way home. And on May 21st, 1924, Loeb, the more ruthless of the two, hit the boy on the head with a chisel and stuffed a gag in his mouth. The boy died within minutes. They half buried the body in a railway culvert and by phone and notes demanded $10,000 in ransom from the boy's wealthy parents. The body, however, was unexpectedly found and several clues, including the discovery of Leopold's eyeglasses at the culvert, led the police to Leopold and Loeb. They quickly confessed. And then for 33 days in July, um, they had a trial. And that's really what I was so interested in when I was reading about this case is because this Clarence Darrow guy was very well known. And so of course these wealthy families, I mean, I don't see people like abandoning their family whenever they commit a crime, but this is like, I'm not going to be paying everything I own to, you know, keep you safe or alive after you committed this crime, you should deal with the consequences. It was, they were your own consequences. Well, these people are paying, out the wazoo for this Clarence Darrow guy who's known for saving people's lives that are high criminal. Like I'm talking like they were found with, with the murder weapon and they still didn't have to like get executed. Like it's crazy. So they hire Clarence Darrow uh, to be known as the attorney, attorney for the damned. That's what he's nicknamed the attorney for the damned. He defended politicians in Chicago and he was a bulldog in the courtroom. The Loeb family didn't want them hanged, so they just begged, please give them, get them life sentences. We don't want them executed. So they knew, like, they're probably going to go down because they are guilty, but we don't want them to be executed. So that was the goal here, was to save the killer's lives. And he believed the supreme virtue was mercy. So Darrow was the perfect guy to pick. He would... Um, commonly say, hate the sin, not the sinner, and felt that free will was not so much the push behind the crimes. The criminals had reasons or they had been victims themselves. So that's the perspective that he would take when he would defend these criminals. He saw the opportunity to play a hero on the bad guy's side and make something of it for the public to learn. A very ego-driven uh, situation, but I guess I can respect the intent. He is 67 at this point, and the two young men are 19. On June 11th, he entered a not guilty plea, giving several weeks to prepare the defense. The young men were seen by physician uh, after physician and an adolescent criminologist and a Freudian educated doctor, which was new for this time period. Freud, his work and his studies were barely being looked into um, by like qualified people and they were also tested, the two boys, Nathan and Richard, were, were tested in all kinds of ways to really get to know them inside and out. They were having their bodily functions measured, um, their intellect tested, and family histories probed. And while that's going on, the social scene was having a mental breakdown over the morality of the youth. So it almost reminds me of like um, Heather's when the news, yeah. everybody's on the news like talking about like, are kids okay? Like what's going to happen? It's all over, like all our innocence and everything. 
So it was that kind of a situation with the newspapers printing uh, radical stories on what could have caused this. And these two monsters are, you know, going down for this. And the party scene is popping. The jazz is jazzing. There was a worry that there was an overindulgence going on with America's children. They are sure to commit crimes with this going on, having excess of anything they want, which little do they know, like it gets worse. So Mm -hmm. hold on to your morals, everybody. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) At this point, they can tell Loeb and Leopold were sane and they were just plain evildoers. Like there was no coming back from people knowing that they didn't have a motive. It wasn't because this child did them wrong. So Darrow was going to go really hard for this case to keep his promise to save their lives. And he was worried and sent men out on the street to ask the public and gauge the opinions. 60% thought the boys should hang for murdering the child. On July 21st, John Calvary, the judge, addressed a silent crowd giving Darrow a chance to lead his defense. Darrow disheveled, held his suspenders, and stood up. He said that they are pleading guilty. So he changed it from not guilty to guilty, as opposed to um, keeping them under uh, pleading innocent. So Darrow is going to argue with new evidence, um, and it's with all the tests that were done um, to these boys or on these boys in the last few weeks. He wanted to present psychological weakness as an excuse for their actions. He wanted to show why they committed the crime. So on July 23rd, 1924, the reporters took over the empty jury box and everyone is, it's, they're just packed and people are like cramming through the door, trying to just see these boys and see Darrow. Um, because he was also late in the game, this Clarence Darrow attorney, he was close to retiring and there was a chance that this might be his last case that he's doing. So a lot of people are trying to cram in here and see him because he's like a very good speaker. He's like very moving. So Crow, the opposition, who's um, trying to put these boys on the gallows, called everyone he could up to the stand to show these guys were guilty. Darrow sat silently as the brutal slaying was dissected for seven days. So for seven days, they discussed how how uh, Bobby Franks was murdered so brutally, and people had to like sit through that. And the whole time, there's photographs of this, Leopold and Loeb are laughing. They're like giggling to each other, like whispering. <clears throat> Um, I don't know, maybe if it like reminded them like of when they got a hand job after the, after the work was done, or maybe they were talking about something else. I don't know, but they were laughing during the dissecting of the case. And that was just disrespectful. That's That's, like so edgelord, right? Like, okay, you're cool. Like that's like vaping in the movie theater or something like, come on, grow up. So on July 30th, um, or actually no. It was the cruelest murder anyone had committed and throughout the boys were snickering like their lives did not depend on it. They were not remorseful in the slightest. Loeb's parents essentially went into hiding at their summer home and Leopold's father was there for every court day. On July 30th, Darrow could now take over um, for the defense. He said the boys were diseased physically and mentally and therefore not responsible for their actions. So this doesn't get as like homophobic as I thought it was going to get. I thought that's what he was going to really drive home there, but um, Mm -hmm. it's not the case. Uh, The pretrial testing gave them a lot of odd findings that they could potentially try to squeeze in there. So like a dysfunctional endocrine gland 
and delusions that led to their crime. Loeb was spelled out as an in control of the situation kind of person with the press printing a headline, Slayers, King, and Slave, Loeb, Master of Leopold, under solemn pact made. Sex inferiority uh, is a factor. So that was one of the headlines for one of the newspapers after um, the defense started pleading their case. There had been... um, Oh, yeah. And so back when... I couldn't find it again to refer back, but I remember reading that when they were trying to blame the murder on one another, they had found love letters and they were like, come on, you guys were in this together. So they kind of knew about their little affair, um, but they didn't really use it to in the court. The newspapers did most mostly that. So Richard wanted to be a master criminal and Nathan had a fantasy of serving a master. Their nicknames together were Babe and Dickie. Get out of here. Cute. <laughs> Um, (laughs) suffered from stunted emotional growth. So here's the kicker. This is where um, it really has the people thinking that are listening to this case. Um, The boys were emotionally stunted, so they could not have felt anything, any kind of way about killing this child. Richard was in particularly, he was particularly regarded as an infantile. So when they referred to Richard they constantly talk about like how he has not matured past like the age of five. And I thought that was like shocking because these guys are really smart, but it didn't, it didn't occur to anyone that emotional maturity was like important. So it was said that it it played a huge factor here. And I want to come back to this. So put a pin in it. Um, But Richard would still talk to his teddy bear. Richard, one psychiatrist said is about um, four to five years old mentally and they were both neglected by their parents, both Richard and Nathan. Nathan Leopold had actually been sexually abused by his governess when he was 12. Oh my. And Richard um, had a mother figure in his governess. However, I feel like he's just like, he was like born kind of on the darker side because instead of using that, or maybe it was her methods, they weren't very specific on this part. So I'm just trying to like play devil's advocate for anything. Um, He became resentful of how hard she would push him in his academics. And so he admitted to his doctors that he felt resentment towards her and he began to tell her lies. Uh, And so that's where he would kind of get back at her for, I guess, pushing him so hard to be successful. I mean, I don't know. Um, Clarence Darrow made these killers into victims and to Crow, the opposing attorney, attorney was, uh, he thought this was ridiculous and pointless and nobody should be listening to the other side at all. And he was cross-examining constantly. He didn't play down the severity of the crime for one second. Um, And I'm sure so many Americans were pissed off listening to Clarence Darrow explain all of these things, but they still were important. Not to say like these men shouldn't be uh, guilty and charged, but it was a new perspective here. Um, on human behavior. And remember that F word we talked about? Freudian was new. So the newspapers printed comics with ideas of possible motivations and concerns of the general public. So like little bubbles saying like, I wonder if my kid's okay. He has a teddy bear, like things like that to like make people really Mm -hmm. think about it. So this case was really just huge. And they wondered if their seemingly normal children had some underlying issues that would come out in one way or another, which we all know now that is true. Um, I am not an expert in the subject, but historically, it's worth mentioning this point in psychiatry, or I don't know if it's 
in mental history in general. Like this was interesting. So finally, the day arrives for the closing arguments. Darrow said this could be his last big case. He was declaring a last stand before his retirement. He gave a, a powerful last argument. The easy thing and popular thing to do is hang my clients. We are asking this court to save their lives. For the time in the courtroom, uh, for this time in the courtroom, the drama was real and the mood changed towards the criminals. He focused on youth and said children have dreams and delusions. During the previous century, no one younger than 23 had been executed in Illinois on a guilty plea. He said the recent world war had released savagery and his speech was pretty good. So you can find it online. Uh, it's pretty powerful. Clarence Darrow was a sight to behold that day. And because of him, those boys, he did it for the boys that may follow. He didn't really do it for Leopold and Lowe, but he said he did it for the boys that follow and they lived. So they, they were guilty and they were put in prison so we can all sigh with relief for that, but they weren't killed. So I don't know how people feel about the death penalty, but even back then it was a huge conversation. So how do you feel about it? You know, I've gone back and forth my whole life on it. And I remember like doing debates in high school about like that was one of the topics that we had to debate over. And I typically was, I would say yes to the death penalty depending on the case but then i always go back and forth because sometimes it wasn't them and they just get killed for no reason yeah that's mm -hmm. and then of course people's main thing that they argue against is like well i don't want to be paying taxes for these murders and rapists to be eating three meals a day and having a warm bed and like i mean i can sense i can feel that sentiment but at the same time like i don't know at what point do we like decide who's allowed to kill people, you know, mm -hmm. but man, there are some people that just deserve it. You know what I heard today, actually, uh, their meals in jail are 14 cents each. Right. And when I saw Orange is the New Black, I hate to say that that's where I got my information from, but that really does like spell it out for, for people to understand like it's not that great. Like it's not, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the street if that's what people are, if they would rather criminals be on the street. Okay. <laughs> but it's nobody's like, never happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they just want, and you know, same thing with like pro-life, like people are pro-life until those kids are out, out there needing help, mm -hmm. you know, yes. <sighs> it sucks, man. I don't know. It's, it's definitely a, a thing I go back and forth on. How about you? What do you think? Um, I have the same sentiment. I mean, it's a tough one. I feel like it's like too philosophically mature for me to even consider. I don't know. Like, I feel like that for a, that's like that for a lot of people though. Like, I don't because on the surface it's, you're like mad and you're like, yeah, kill them. Yeah, but then it's I guess. <laughs> I just would be very nervous for the people that oh, yeah. are innocent, but they're in jail. You know what I mean? Like, oh my god! And I'm I'm sure there's been a few that have been put to death and they were innocent. Oh, that gives me at chills. least not like maybe not like super recent, mm -hmm. but like back in the day. And then the people who uh, put them there have to deal have to live with that, knowing like I don't really know if it was them. <gasps> 
Mm-hmm. Oh, like have you seen uh, the little things? I have not. It wasn't that good, so I mean, you're not missing out. But it's with Denzel <laughs> and Jared Leto and that, and Jared Leto looks like he would be the killer, and he's like playing games with the police, so they really think he did it. And I want to. Spo- I'm gonna just spoil it because I mean, if you don't care, I'll spoil it. But they never find out if it was him or not. And what's his name goes and kills him, not Denzel, but his partner. Um, how am I forgetting? <clears throat> Rami Malek. He kills him, and we never know if he was the killer or not. It's just, ugh, man. So to make Rami Malek feel better, Denzel Washington plants some hair clips that were a little girl's hair clips um, on that guy's stuff, so that that guy, so Rami Malek could feel better about maybe it was him. Ugh. But anyways, so there's that. There's the morality of whether the death penalty has ever been a good idea or if it was never a good idea, who knows? Um, Darrow was successful in saving Leopold and Loeb. Um, Judge John R. Caverly, he offered an eloquent appeal against capital punishment. The judge finally sentenced them each to life imprisonment for murder and 99 years for kidnapping. They were sent to Northern Illinois Penitentiary near Joliet in January of 1936, Loeb was razor slashed and killed by a fellow inmate toward whom Loeb allegedly had made sadistic homosexual advances. What? So they don't play that in there. So he was killed. Um, Leopold was paroled in 1958 and worked as a hospital technician in Puerto Rico where he married a widow in 1961. He died of a heart attack 10 years later. They... Oh, I guess I was in Puerto Rico. Never mind. Right. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> he could just not be anybody there, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wrote Life Plus 99 Years in 1958. And a lot of other books have come out since to not explain, but just kind of take a closer look. And it is very interesting. And there's a lot more that I totally didn't cover. So if anybody is interested in the Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb case, you should definitely check it out. Um, It's wild. Uh, The guy who lived, uh, Loeb, he actually went back to studying ornithology. So he was like studying birds and stuff in Puerto Rico. And I guess I don't know if he ever, if he was like ever evil or like, what was the deal with that? He's just completely a different person after prison or what? I mean, yeah, Leopold is the one who who went to Puerto Rico and he studied birds and stuff. So he had a decently normal enough uh, end of his life, I guess. He got to get married and all that. And who's to say if he deserved that? I mean, I'm not the one to say that he deserved it or didn't deserve it, but it is what happened. So one guy got off in, in jail and one didn't. Crazy, crazy. There's no cell phones back then. You literally had to be an idiot to like get caught murdering, I feel. That's probably what the, I'm thinking like these guys. Like I'm so smart. Back then I would have definitely got away with this. <laughs> Leaves my glasses at the, at the scene. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's fucking funny. Uh, so they eventually, I think they were able to track his um, 
typewriter too when they found the note or they got to see the ransom note they figured out what kind of typewriter and then they figured out it was um either Loeb's or leopold so it was already going to be they were going to track it back in one way or another so pointless but yeah i just they were sloppy <laughs> they, were, they really were and then rental cars like was there not blood but then i remember 1920s no dna testing who's to say there's probably so much blood in those cars Oh, the mob crime. Like, come on. Take a blue light to somebody's 1920s car and see how it lights up. The 4th of July. Um, So, yeah, that was was the case of Nathan and Richard, or should I say Babe and Dickie. That is actually kind of cute. So that chemistry, I guess, was the inspiration for my favorite Matthew Lillard and Ski Ulrich for Scream. I don't like discussing Scream. I do like discussing Scream. I love it. Don't get me wrong. But I'm so nervous that people who haven't seen it are going to find out everything and think that it's like not worth watching. Because the first time you watch it, there's nothing like it. You're just like, whoa, who could it be? You can tell, but who is it really? And then, of course, all the others are the same way. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like if you haven't watched it yet... You're not going to. Yeah, you're not going to. Ugh, imagine the day when people are like, who's Drew Barrymore? <sighs> it's already happening. I will never yet... Di- Somebody literally was like, who's Robin Williams? And I almost had a stroke. Who said that? Someone in the break room at work one time. I was like, oh no. Oh, no we have... Dude. These are the days I was not looking forward to. Yes. Emma did it with fucking Jennifer Aniston. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. And she watched Friends religiously. No. But I guess she just didn't. America's sweetheart. Name, yeah, she was like, it was some uh, meme that was going around during the lockdown or whatever. Jeez. It wasn't even a meme. It was like a thing that happened with Jennifer Aniston. She's like. This lady, she like did this thing, and I was what like, "What lady? Oh my I, god!" Yeah, so I was like, "Just some random lady." She's like, "No, some famous lady." And oh like, no! And she showed me, and I almost had a say heart. it ain't so, <laughs> guys. No, that's unbearable. I don't know what I'll do. Yeah, interesting. I was like, I need to take myself out of this room. Right but at now. the same time, a few years ago, I was like, "Who's Billie Eilish?" So I mean, it's all catching up. It's I mean, from both ends. Yes, We're just going to be clueless. <laughs> she's like yeah these youtube pe- okay but whenever she tells me like uh if she'll tell me like the youtube people i don't know who the fuck i don't know who any of the people on youtube are like i don't oh, know the influencers are. yeah like i don't or it's not even it's like the fucking people that are on like um twitch like the fucking Strippers. famous gamers and OMG. stuff that do the playthroughs and she loves that shit and oh yeah I just i have no idea who she's talking about <laughs> <laughs> But I don't, eh, there's just, uh, whenever she tells me, like, when she is barely finding out about someone that has been around for years, she'll tell, she'll tell me about it. Like, it's the first time anyone has heard, like, it's like, I don't know who it is. And I'm like, I literally used to worship those people when I was like 10, Mm -hmm. please, please. Yep. I was there when it was written, which, like, really? <laughs> Dude, thinking about that is so wild. Yeah, Mm-mm. it is. It, it makes me feel really old, and I hate it. 
True that. But then it's also interesting thinking about like um, how our grandparents and stuff were like present for these moments in history that we like learn about. And so that's going to be the same way for our like future generations. Mm. Man. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention this part. Uh, that crow, when he had to do his rebuttal uh, after hearing Clarence Darrow defend these guys, he gave his last little argument and used it to introduce the idea that the victim may have been molested before being killed. So that like shook everybody to the core that um, oh. the that the thirteen or fourteen year old um, Bobby was molested or that it was a sexually charged murder. So the judge tells mm-hmm. the lady reporters to leave and to protect their dainty ears. Um, Cause it was just so shocking, but it didn't work. Um, the boys were not executed, but they were guilty. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how happy Crow was with, with what happened, but he did try to use that one last little uh, trick that he had up his sleeve. Um, and then I wanted to touch back on what I said about emotional maturity because in men, <laughs> We're losing all the male audience literally because of this reason, and we're questioning it. So, sure <laughs> just hating on them. them. They, they're like, we always have to hear hate. I was about to say, I don't think we have any male listeners, but we do. That is a lie. We sure do, and we see you. Our contest winner was a man, and exactly there you go. Um, but yeah, the emotional maturity part really like triggered me because I can definitely see how that would be an issue if if a guy was so smart but he was emotionally immature no 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 there's going to be yeah, that's scary make him smart, though. that's scary no i mean no like it's hard to explain i don't know i don't even know how to really say what emotional maturity is but you can definitely tell when someone is or isn't you get what i'm saying okay yeah because let's i mean like in an argument sake, you can tell like Well them laughing and while that they were too. doing like who does that? They might children. just be sociopaths. Or yeah, they're children because they don't take it seriously. You might be right. Yeah. It's like yeah. a joke. <gasps> so it, if it's not that they're sociopaths, it really was that they just had an infantile way of seeing everything and it, it was all a game. Yep. Oh no. Interesting. Well, there you have it, folks. That was the 1924 murder of Bobby Franks and the, they call it the crime of the century. I am really grappling with that because since then there have been so many crime, there have been so many murders, but at this point in time, it was just very brutal and unheard of. And yeah, so that's that. And make sure you leave us a review on Apple podcasts or anywhere where you can review us. Let your friends and family know that we are here providing creepy content for your listening pleasure. And um, make sure you follow us on Instagram at G-I-M-M-E, The Creeps. And on Twitter, uh, you will find updates and information on the cases that we are covering for the week on those. So once again, thank you guys so much for all of your support and for listening. So, we. <coughs> <laughs> You know what I realized? What? I don't think people listen to the very end. I think they like before I even Are started. you really? That's a lie because Lizette tells me she likes how you say it every time. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, here we That's go. That's how you really know when it's over, you know? Yes, exactly. A little bookend. It's not over until the fat lady says, so 
Did we give you the creeps? Oh, 